Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can ghosts, or parasites for that matter, take the forms of animals? Can they make it seem like the animals are talking to people? Who or what was Jeff the Talking Mongoose? Hello and welcome to the 782nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno here on WOON, 1240 AM in 99.3 FM. And this is our 11th year on the air. I'm Ben. And those carnivorous questions came from my co-host, partner in the paranormal, compatriot and father, Paul. And uh, today we welcome a returning guest on one of the weirdest subjects we've ever covered and uh, one of great interest to my dad because of a personal experience. And, uh, you know, we welcome your calls today. Uh, the number is 401-766-1240 from uh, anywhere and emails, paul at com for that. And you can message us on Facebook as well. And also joining us today is one of our favorite guest co-hosts um, and, that, and uh, producer and behavioral scientist, Lori Greer. So uh, welcome back to the show, Lori. Thank you. Thanks for having me, and welcome to Tim. Uh, and I look forward to learning more about this furry little creature in the haunting of Cash and Gap. Well, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Uh, Tim R. Swartz is an Emmy Award-winning photojournalist, television producer, and videographer, and is the author of a number of books, including The Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla, America's Strange and Supernatural History, UFO Repeaters, Time Travel, Fact Not Fiction, Men of Mystery, Nikola Tesla, and many others. Tim has investigated the bazaar all over the world, from the Great Pyramid in Egypt to the Great Wall of China. He has also appeared on the History Channel's The Tesla Files, Ancient Aliens, Evidence, Ancient Aliens Declassified, and the History Channel Latin America series Contacto Extraterrestre. Mm. Tim has written for many magazines, and he is often caught in cahoots with our good friend and occasional guest co-host UFO legend Timothy Green Beckley, with whom he, in turn, co-hosts Exploring the Bazaar on KCOR Radio out of Las Vegas. Tim's websites include ConspiracyJournal.com and TeslaSecretLab.com. So, Tim Schwartz, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Why, thank you very much, gentlemen. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you. So, I guess uh, we will start off uh, with something a li- little more bizarre, which sounds like a simple question, but it can probably lead us to basically talk for the whole hour. Uh, so, as we heard it, this weird mongoose literally comes out of the woodwork at farmhouses in the middle of nowhere on the Isle of Man, introduces himself, and starts yakking. So, can you fill us in on the story, including the poltergeist phenomenon? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Well, uh, and you know, you said uh, uh, mongoose that uh, whatever this thing was, and it was mostly a voice claimed to be a mongoose. But uh, it, the the whole story actually started in 1931 on the Isle of Man in a, a farmhouse owned by the Irving family. Uh, the Irvings uh, were transplants uh, from uh, Liverpool, uh, England. Uh, Mr. Irving, Jim Irving, had been a piano and organ salesman and had been a, a fairly successful one. They lived uh, very well. And at, uh, at one point, while visiting the island, he decided that he was going to uh, buy some property and uh, in his uh, retirement years become a gentleman farmer, you know, someone who uh, had the, you know, the hired help do uh, do all the work and he would just you know collect the uh uh the the profits and keep his hands clean sounds good to me yeah yeah, yeah. well you know unfortunately um at that uh, at that time 
uh, and this was uh, uh, shortly after the end of, uh, of World War One. Uh, their successes uh, uh, were very great, and uh, so Jim uh, actually ended up having to uh, do all the work uh, himself. So uh, they had a uh, at the time that this all started, they had a twelve-year-old daughter by the name of Vori. Uh, now I should add that uh, the Irvings were a uh, I don't want to say an elderly couple, but uh, they were they, they were older than uh, than than most people to have a twelve-year-old daughter. They they had already had two children, which at that point. Uh, were already adults and had moved back to uh, to England to start families of their own, and then uh, Vori <laughs> kind of came along—a pleasant surprise, as some people would uh, say nowadays. <laughs> and um, at one point, and, and the story varies because the first letter that was written to Harry Price from a, a neighbor of the Irving said that uh, Jim and Vori had seen uh, a little uh, animal in their farmyard that was uh, harassing the, the, the chickens. It uh, This thing would, was chasing after the chickens, barking like a dog, meowing like a cat, and and acting, you know, just a little kind of, kind of weird as they described it. Well, this thing eventually found its way inside the, the house, which was a two-story uh, stone building, probably, uh, they think, built sometime in the 19th century. Uh, when uh, Jim was uh, renovating this place, he had put up uh, a wooden paneling uh, to act as kind of like an uh, insulation uh, between the stone walls, uh, which left about a four-inch gap. And apparently this thing had gotten into the house and was now living uh, in, this, uh, in this space. So the uh, Jim decided that he was going to try to shoot it or trap it or kill it, you know, he, uh, Naturally, you don't want some kind of vermin in your house. is bad enough. You know they they lived in the middle of nowhere on top of a, of a very large hill. There's no road leading there. Uh, you would have to take a path about uh, a mile to to get to this location. S- trying to kill this thing proved unsuccessful so Jim Irving later uh, uh, wrote to Harry Price and said that uh, out of kind of frustration he barked at it like a dog and this thing barked back and that's how it started they would make noises and this thing would parrot the noises back Uh, uh, eventually it started making noises as Jim said Sounding like a um, a baby, you know, like how a baby is trying to learn how to talk, you know, making just you know uh, uh, various vowels. <laughs> it's kind of like you know weird bubbly noises. And then Vori started re- reciting nursery rhymes to it, and it would repeat the nursery rhymes back almost exactly. The voice was kind of high pitched. I-, I guess that maybe Alvin and the Chipmunks would be a good example of how this thing this thing sounded and it progressed from there eventually it developed a personality it um uh not only could it parrot words back but it had a mind of its own and and developed a mind of its own rather rapidly uh it had its own personality like a lot of um talking poltergeist cases it had kind of a 
uh, a wicked sense of humor. It cursed at times. It would scream and yell. It got angry easily. Um, it, it just, uh, uh, it is this fantastic case that I don't think that there has, uh, at least according to the research that I've conducted over these years, I have never run across anything even remotely similar and as long-lasting as the Jeff case. It lasted until around 1938 or 39. No one's really quite sure. Very long, very yeah. long, and and this, uh, you know, and not only did it talk, but it would um, throw things. It uh, 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 made things disappear. Uh, it uh, would um, uh, steal items from neighbors' houses and bring them back for the Irvings, uh, uh, much to the chagrin of their neighbors. It killed rabbits. Uh, it killed, I think, like maybe over 300 rabbits over the years to, to bring to the Irvings, uh, you know, for food. Uh, it's uh, the, the the Jeff case is it's fascinating and and maddening at the same time, to tell you the truth. <laughs> okay. Well, we were, we're going to turn this over to Lori in just a second, uh, for some, que- uh, that's Lori, not Vori, uh, for <laughs> the questions. Uh, but I wanted to ask you about the name, G-E-F. I mean, mm-hmm. what is that? An acronym for glorious, um, you know, enlightened furball or something? I mean, or, or they just couldn't <laughs> oh, spell I like that, yeah. Um, you know, at first they called it, uh, I think Jack was what they called it. But uh, at some point, uh, Jeff, G-E-F, said that uh, his name was Jeff, that he liked that name. And uh, it probably, the name came from, uh, you know, the kind of the uh, uh, old-fashioned spelling of Jeff, G-E-O-F-F. Oh, yeah. But I guess some people have speculated that uh, Jeff, uh, being a, uh, a mongoose, didn't know how to spell. So... <laughs> Especially the, so, uh, on, on the Isle of Man, the, the Manx folks are great folks, but uh, they have their own way of spelling and doing things. Uh, exactly. Okay, uh, we're going to turn it over to, to our special guest co-host, Lori Greer. Uh, take it away, Lori. Hey, Tim. Hi. Um, Hi, Lori. I, I have a reputation of asking too many questions, and my co-workers sometimes want to scream because um, I tend to be too too inquisitive. Um, okay. So I was, I was doing, a little, doing a little reading on, on the mongoose, and... Um, what I read was that the mongooses are typically, um, they typically habitate Asia and Africa in warmer, um, warmer places. So I'm just questioning how or, how and if a mongoose could survive in, you know, in, in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. but then, but before that, like, my, my questions were, prior to the Irvings reporting seeing Jeff, did anyone else report seeing him? And after, uh, you know, their reporting, did anyone else in the neighborhood report seeing him? I mean, if he had all this activity, you'd think that someone would have spotted him and noticed him, you know, doing some of his antics. Well, I'll, uh, uh, I'll answer your first question uh, about uh, uh, Jeff in, uh, um, uh, on the island. Uh, Jeff had told the Irvings at one point that he had been, uh, uh, he originally had been born in India. And at that point, he was already, he's at around 80 years old. And that at some point, uh, uh, a, a Manx farmer had imported uh, several dozen 
mongoose uh, from India or Africa, uh, you know, wherever he he, he he purchased them from, probably South Africa at that point, and uh, and had them shipped to the island in order to uh, help take care of a, I guess, a, an overpopulation of rabbits, and that Jeff was part of that uh, uh, parcel and was set loose on the island. The funny thing about that is that, uh, I guess a couple of years later, Jim Irving found out that that story was true. He had first heard it from Jeff, and then a, uh, a reporter from a local newspaper had actually found an article, uh, from the, uh, early 1900s, I think it's what it was, that, uh, a local farmer had done such a thing. Uh, and, and I guess that, uh, you know, a mongoose is, uh, uh, uh a fairly sturdy type of, of animal and can live in all kinds of, of different climates. But you're, you know, you're correct. I don't know if uh, it would be able to survive for a long period of time in the in the wilds of the island of of man, uh, which is in the uh, the the Irish Sea in between England and uh, and Ireland. Now, uh, your second question: nobody had ever reported. Um, a talking mongoose or, or anything else, uh, uh, before the Irvings. Uh, now the, the island and especially the area that the Irvings live had a rich tradition of, um, you know, like, uh, uh, uh elemental types of, of things, you know, fairies, brownies, pukas, uh, things like, things like that. Um, but as for anything, even remotely similar to Jeff before the Irvings. No, nothing like that. Afterwards, after Jim Irving had died, and I'm kind of jumping the gun here, uh, but uh, uh, after uh, Jim Irving died and uh, his his wife had uh, sold the farmhouse and moved back to England, the new owner had reported that it had uh, uh, run across an animal uh, on his on the property. That um, uh, uh, was rather vicious. He he managed to catch it in a trap and uh, club it to death. Uh, uh, took a picture of it, but uh, years later, uh, Vori, uh, when she was an adult, looked at this picture and said that it was nothing like Jeff. This thing, uh, from the description, sounded like it was uh, you know, what they called a polecat. But you know, here here in the uh, states, we would call it a skunk. Uh, but she said it looked nothing like Jeff. So. So out of the three conclusions um, of what might possibly account for Jeff, um, such as one, he said he really did exist and did, did want the passion gap, or number two, was there some kind of mental illness or hallucination or something else going on with the family, or was it just the family deceiving uh, those around him, which do you think is the most plausible? Well, there were other witnesses uh, to Jeff. I mean, it wasn't uh, just the family in isolation uh, reporting this. There were uh, a number of uh, visitors who uh, did claim that uh, Jeff did talk to them or or, uh, uh, actually (laughs) disrespect them in the the way of throwing rocks or packing needles or sometimes even, I guess, uh, urinating on one man's head. Uh, from a, uh, a crack in the ceiling, uh, there was a, uh, a gentleman by the name of, of Captain McDonald, uh, 
uh, who uh, had been sent to the island a couple of times by the psychic investigator, paranormal investigator, Harry Price. And uh, Captain McDonald, uh, the first time that he went there, uh, really had no success in getting any kind of response to Jeff. But in subsequent visits, uh, Jeff became uh, uh, fairly verbose and uh, uh, screamed and yelled and, and talked. And, and Captain McDonald uh, said that, that he, he did hear Jeff. Now, of course, people on the island suspected that this was all a hoax. Uh, the Irvings being transplants were always kind of viewed with suspicion. And as well, you know, the uh, both Jim and his wife Margaret always uh, always dressed better than the local farmers. And so they were they were considered, you know, like not one of us. So naturally when news of this incident uh, started circulating Everybody suspected the Dolby spook, as it was called, was was some kind of hoax. They 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 suspected that maybe Margaret and Vori were hoaxing this somehow in order to. Get but um, if that was the case, it it was an utter failure uh, because uh, they lived there till Jim passed away in the uh, in the early 1940s, and and then finally Margaret uh, sold the farm. You know, some people, uh, even at that time, suggested that Vori was some kind of super ventriloquist. You know, at that time, they called it throwing your voice. And um, they, the belief at that time was that a talented ventriloquist actually was able to throw their voice to, say, come out of a closet or underneath a bed or something like that. You know, you know we know now that uh, ventriloquism is just a matter of distraction. And, and Vori herself said in an interview for Fate magazine years later that if she was that good of a ventriloquist, why did she work menial jobs all of her life? Why wasn't she on stage, you know, <laughs> making you know, thousands of pounds a year uh, uh, as a ventriloquist? And, uh, and as I said in my book, if Vori was responsible entirely for Jeff, uh, hoaxing it, how, how were her parents so naive that she was able to fool them all that time. You know, I have a 12-year-old daughter, about the same age that Vori was at that time, and uh, she would not be able to, you know, she may be able to fool me a couple of times, but uh, she would never be able to sustain something like that, you know, for that amount of, of time and keep my, my wife and myself full. And the same way with the with the Irvings, you know, they didn't just fall off the uh, the parenting cart you know they had they already had raised two grown uh, two children that were grown at that point so they knew you know they probably knew all of the tricks you know all the tricks in the book so to me to think that that a 12 year old you know well you know started out as a 12 year old girl uh, was able to sustain this kind of hopes all that time, just you know, it's just it's kind of ludicrous to me. That's not to say, though, that uh, like other you know uh, poltergeist cases that center around uh, a child or, or preteen, that uh, you know she didn't uh, uh, fudge some uh, uh, situations every now and then. I mean, you know, I, I bet she did. I would, I, I would bet good money that she did. But 
saying that she was entirely responsible for Jeff the, the the entire time is is you know I I just don't see how she could have done it. Okay, can I interject something here? It might uh, add to uh, our discussion a bit. Uh, I'm quoting from one of the this is the, the supposedly the, the only reporter who heard Jeff speaking. And you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Tim. Um, this is from a mind space the, the uh, my what is it? Mysteries of Mind, Space, and Time, a series of British articles, which is, uh, I thought, quite well written. But of the many newspaper reporters who met the Irvings, the luckiest came from the Manchester Daily Dispatch. That's Manchester, England, not New Hampshire, folks. Uh, for he was the only one to hear the talking weasel, quote-unquote. He wrote of his successful mission, quote, The mysterious man-weasel has spoken to me today. Investigation of the most remarkable animal story that has ever been given publicity leaves me in a state of considerable perplexity. Had I heard a weasel speak, I do not know. But I do know that what I, that I've heard today a voice which I should never have imagined could issue from a human throat, unquote. What say either of you? That's interesting that he says human throat. Mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. the, I think the way that it's written is is really really interesting and it also kind of there's one one kind of follow-up question I wanted to kind of add to this which is how did this get publicized so widely it well, uh, I know Ed Warren wasn't involved so that can't yeah. blame him <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Uh, oh, he, uh, the Warrens would have found a way to uh, uh, profit off of this, no guarantee. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, <it would've. laughs> um, it, well, it, uh, it it first was picked up by uh, one of the local uh, newspapers, uh, and uh, the uh, the Irvings had a uh, a neighbor who uh, was a fan of Harry Price and wrote Harry Price then a letter. But by the time Harry Price got involved, uh, other Newspapers, both on the island and in England, uh, say like the uh, the Daily Mail and, uh, and 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 others, had uh, had picked this story up and, and ran with it. So by the time that Harry Price had gotten involved, uh, the story had already circulated all across the planet. So I mean, it uh, it it was a a a, a, a well reported uh, story within the the first year that things started uh, happening. You know, nineteen thirty one, nineteen thirty two, that sort of thing. Okay. All right, uh, let's turn the hand it back to Lori. I know she has more questions. Um, yeah, I, I was doing some reading on of uh, the mongoose. And I'm very interested in animal communication and the way, um, you know, even individuals with autism and disabilities communicate. And there are many, many reports of, of, of animals who use units of sound that sound a lot like, uh, like human verbal behavior. And there's a lot of animals that can imitate sound. And what I read about the mongoose was that they're supposedly very social creatures and they will chatter back and forth to each other, and it often sounds like like human speech. So my question, you know, were could there have been more than one of these creatures, and they were simply communicating back to each other, or um, you know, did this creature, I wonder, learn to parrot some of the the words that he he possibly heard? Because it says that they do combine units of sound that are somewhat like human speech using both vowels and syllables which is interesting, and they use that to coordinate their movements, to communicate to each other, you know, for various purposes. I thought that was very interesting. 
it's it's funny that you should uh, you should ask that because uh, I was on a, a, another show not too long ago and a, a caller had told me that uh, his brother had uh, had lived in India for a number of years and I guess that uh, one of the and I don't want to know I, I don't remember you know if he said superstitions or beliefs of of uh, the Indians is that a mongoose could actually learn how to talk uh, I guess more along the lines of like a, a parrot rather than intelligent speak but I guess that that's a widely held belief that a mongoose can do that and of course this is coming from you know people who have no idea uh, about Jeff and, and I and I, uh, I wonder if uh, that kind of uh, information was uh, available in, in England at the time. Okay. Uh, I mean, since then, there's lots of reports of animals that, you know, that can speak like Hoover the seal and Alex, the, you know, certainly Alex the parrot and Lucy the chimp. I mean, you, you read stories all over the place about animals using um, certain guttural sounds that um, seem to be sounding like... Um, the like typical word. Well, on, on that uh, word, uh, we will uh, put off this, the thought for just a moment as we take our bottom of the hour break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley with our fascinating guest today, Tim Swartz, our uh, lovely guest co-host, Lori Greer, and we will be right back with Jeff the Talking Mongoose. Stick with us. Hello, this is Manny Brando. And this is Virginia. We're here to tell you our new showtime is one hour later, Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10. Oh, good. I can sleep another hour. You do, and you'll be late for breakfast. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. Well, there you have it. Uh, don't be late for breakfast. But anyway, it's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and 99.3 FM. Let's get back to our fascinating guest, uh, Tim Swartz, on the subject of Jeff the Talking Mongoose from the 1930s in the UK. And uh, our co-host, Laurie Greer, was in the middle of some questions. Please uh, proceed, Laurie. Well, they weren't really questions. They were just, you know, just comments on the fact that there are many, many reports of animals that could speak in their, in their own language and mm-hmm. um, that could communicate with others. Uh, but my last question, and then I'll let you guys take Take over. It's got to want to be a question hog. Is um, well, I guess it's a couple of questions. I really don't know that much about poltergeist, but I wondered if any of the behaviors that were reported by Jeff were they similar to typical behaviors of poltergeist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd echo that question. The uh, I'll I'll go back to the idea that uh, that. That Jeff uh, could have actually have been, you know, an actual physical uh, uh, mongoose that had somehow uh, uh, learned to talk. Uh, as as far as I know, in the animal kingdom, uh, with the exception of say, like uh, you know, Coco the gorilla, who could you know sign use sign language, we have animals that can talk, but uh, for the most part. Possibly again, with the exception of Coco and maybe uh, uh, the gray parrot, uh, 
there doesn't seem to be um, an intelligence, say, you know, like a back and forth type of, of, of ability uh, uh, with these animals. I mean, you know, we've seen uh, videos of, of dogs that, uh, you know, can can say I love you or, 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 or something like that. But with the case of Jeff, I mean, we have something uh, and, you know, uh, uh, even though it claimed to be a mongoose, uh, uh, I, I sincerely doubt if that was actually the case. Uh, this was something that had a personality. It had an intelligence. It, it could hold long conversations. It quoted verses from the Bible. It sang songs. I mean, it, uh, it, this went way, way beyond something that could, you know, an animal that could just, you know, say, say, you know, I, I love you or, or feed me or, or, or something along those lines. So I, I suspect, and, and of course, you know, I mean, I'm not the only one, uh, even at the very beginning, uh, when uh, this started at the Irving's house, uh, I suspect that this is some kind of paranormal incident and and again i mean you know that uh, that word paranormal i mean that that could mean almost anything you know the irvings themselves at the beginning thought naturally that this was a ghost that they were being haunted and uh, and and even asked jeff uh, a, a number of times margaret irving especially uh, i guess was never entirely convinced that that jeff was a uh, at least all of the time, uh, a physical animal. Uh, they asked Jeff, you know, you're a ghost, aren't you? Admit it. And and Jeff always uh, uh, denied it for the most part. At times, you know, he he liked to uh, to mess with their heads, and you know, he would say that, you know, yes, I am the you know I'm a, I'm I'm the ghost of a man in the form of a weasel, and I'll haunt you with the sounds of clanking chains or <laughs> or things like that. Um, but uh, Jeff. Uh, uh, I would tell the Irvings that uh, if he was a ghost, how could he go and kill rabbits or or bring you know bring home uh, 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 food or, or other items that he had stolen from from the neighbors? Um, and, and he also told the Irvings that he was afraid of ghosts. That uh, he didn't even want any books about ghosts in the house. Uh, I guess Jim Irving had brought a book home about ghosts at one point just to see if there was any similarities and. And uh, uh, Jeff told him to, you know, get that uh, damned book out of the house as quickly as they, you know, he possibly could. Uh, uh, you know, uh, if I j- just not interrupt, but Ben has a question. But uh, before we go to that uh, and leave the subject of, of animal communication, I just uh, uh, not to introduce levity into these solemn discussions we're having today. But uh, <laughs> I'm still in mourning over the retirement of Gary Larson of the Farside cartoons, and I remember mm-hmm. one in which he was a bunch of scientists just standing around in lab coats attempting to talk to dolphins. And uh, the the dolphin sounds are being phoneticized and written on a blackboard, and I just can't understand what they're saying. And, and the phoneticized sounds are uh, como esta and uh, habla español, and they just don't get it. So anyway, so th- th- that being said, uh, Ben, go ahead. So I, I guess this kind of like le- I think it's interesting that that Jeff denied being a ghost, but all I can see is is a lot of parallels with the Bell Witch case. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah it's there's yeah. there's from the strange animals appearing to you know quoting Bible verses and just in general being a phenomenon known known throughout the land, I think it's I think it's fascinating you know basically start to finish you know just replace a witch with a weasel basically and boom there you go. So mm-hmm. I guess you know kind of moving moving from here, uh, how 
you know, the early early 20th century, you know, the idea, the spiritualist movement was in full swing. Everyone was either really into science or really into spiritualism. There was really no in between. So I think, I think a lot of a lot of this maybe just just from you know the vague research I have done. How much of this is 20th century? sort of, like, early 20th century sensibilities, like, oh, wow, it's ghosts, spirits, you know, spooky stuff, versus, um, you know, like, being basically sensationalized. If you read the newspaper accounts that uh, that were presented at the time, they definitely had been sensationalized. Uh, as, uh, um, as Paul had pointed out earlier, uh, one of the reporters uh, referred to it as the man weasel, you know, which would lead readers to believe, you know, you'd have almost like a, uh, what we'd call a dogman type, you know, creature yeah. living in the wall, yeah, living in the walls of the house. However, uh, we have, uh, and, uh, uh thank heavens, the, the, the Harry Price, uh, archives and Harry Price himself, who, who actually, uh, uh, wrote a book afterwards called The Haunting of Cashin's Gap, uh, which uh, Tim Beckley was able to uh, 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 find somebody who had a copy of this book and uh, was nice enough to uh, scan the pages so wow. that we could uh, so that we could use it in, uh, in 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 my book because a lot of the information that was in this book has not been seen I think uh, really since it was originally released in 1936 it sold about 400 copies and then was never reprinted uh, but in Harry Price's archives there are letter after letter and uh, a daily diary that Jim Irving actually kept about uh, uh, Jeff's daily activities and and they're just uh, most of it is just rather mundane you know April 22nd Jeff brought home another rabbit today uh, you know uh, uh, May 6th Jeff said that he uh, he rode on the un- under the bus uh, down to Dalby and uh, uh, hung around the bus station listening to the mechanics you know, just stuff like that. So uh, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the information that we have about Jeff, as uh, as, as given by uh, Jim Irving, is just uh, there's there's really nothing sensationalistic about it, except that you're dealing with somebody who is claiming that there is a voice in their wall making all these claims and 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 it and more than just a voice you know like i said you know i mean uh, there was a lot of physical uh, uh things going on as well you brought up the bell witch case and uh, uh one of the things that i brought up in my book is the similarities between jeff and uh talking poltergeist cases uh, uh throughout history uh the Bell Witch and Jeff have one similarity is that they were so long lasting. You know, the Bell Witch, I can't remember right now, but I mean, it, 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 1817 to 1821. There you go. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, in, in normal poltergeist case, you know, it generally burns itself out in, uh, uh, less than a year. Yeah. Uh, uh, but both of these cases, this was something that lasted a long time. Uh, one of the differences though, is that uh, while the Bell Witch was extremely uh, violent and had a, a bad temper, Jeff had a bad temper, but he really wasn't—he w- really wasn't violent. Uh, 
uh, you know, he would yell and scream. And in fact, uh, uh, you know, some of the uh, reporters who went to the house claimed that uh, while they were outside of the house, they could hear, as they as they called it, the animal in the house screaming and cursing at such a volume that they could easily make out what it was saying in its high pitched voice. Uh, but, uh, but unlike the Bell Witch, I mean, Jeff never resorted to, uh, uh, hitting people, striking people. You know, the Bell Witch, there was, a, a numerous accounts of some invisible entity, you know, like slapping people in the face. Uh, the Bell Witch was extremely fond of doing that. Uh, but as, uh, Ben pointed out, both the Bell Witch and, uh, Jeff would uh, 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 sing songs, recite hymns. Jeff would go to uh, uh, neighbors' houses and listen in on conversations and then come back and gossip to the Irvings about what he heard. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have uh, one more question from Lori here uh, before we move on to something I wanted to compare notes with you, Tim, on uh, Poltergeist cases. But, Lori, go ahead. Good question. Uh, question was, were, was there any evidence left in the home or around the home uh, left by Jeff, such as, uh, you know, his hairs or fur or animal tracks or droppings or anything to that sort. Right. Uh, the uh, uh, Harry Price actually um, had requested that uh, uh, Jeff uh, provide, say, like a hair sample, which uh, which Jeff did. Jeff uh, uh, left uh, uh, hair that he claimed that he had uh, plucked from his uh, face and tail for the Irvings to uh, uh, to send to Harry Price to be analyzed. When this hair was analyzed, though, it turned out to be the hair from their uh, their sheepdog Mona. And, and not a mongoose hair. Uh, Harry Price also sent uh, uh, plastiline clay so that Jeff could uh, uh, put his paw prints uh, uh, into it, and and Jeff did provide that. Though, and uh, when it, these paw prints were analyzed, they really um, nobody could ever come up with anything, any animal that that fit those tracks. The closest uh, uh, one scientist said was that. Uh, uh, a couple of the uh, uh, the prints look like that, that they may have come from a a, a raccoon, uh, which is significant, I think, because the Irvings reported that Jeff's front feet were not like normal paws. Uh, they they said that they were more like um, like small doll hands that that they had long fingers and possibly even an opposable thumb. Uh, uh, Jeff, because Jeff could hold a spoon, he could open doors. Uh, at one point, uh, when he was on, as he called his sanctuary, which was the, the, the top of a, a sealed staircase, uh, he was eating a bowl of porridge, I think is what it was, that the, uh, that, that Margaret Irving had given him, and they had also provided him with a, a candle so he could see what he was doing, and, uh, in the light of this candle, he held up his hand so they could see his sh- the shadow of it, and they said that it looked like uh, a, like a miniature version of a human hand. Well, there we are. Um, I think I'd like to <laughs> just ask. Uh, 
Um, now you and I, Jeff. Uh, yeah, yeah, Jeff. Right. You and I, Tim. I'll be okay. You and I, uh, Tim, have um, personal experience of poltergeist. Ben has not had the pleasure, and as far and uh, Lori uh, knew me in days when I was doing this, but she didn't come along. <laughs> Probably uh, fortunately for her. Um, however, in in um, the experiences I had, one of them was Sam the talking cat. Right. Supposedly. All right. And this is in the Bridgeport case of 1974 poltergeist situation uh in many ways uh sort of similar to the one in um that we've been discussing and maybe even the bell witch or something but but no particular animal involved except for the cat <coughs> now if i um i wasn't born yesterday and i just uh, as far as i could see the little girl marcy was throwing her voice she would hold the cat very close to her throat at times and then there would be sounds that, in a way, kind of sounded like they were coming from the cat. Now, mm-hmm. the only thing that made me sit up and take notice were two things. One was rather jocular. I will never forget the sight of network reporters from ABC, NBC, and CBS who had come up from New York, about 60 miles away. And that was, there was, they were, they were the only game in town as far as news was concerned in those days. Sticking microphones into the face of Sam the Cat and begging him to say something. Uh, that was a sight I'll never forget. Uh, additionally, uh, one thing that made me kind of sit up and take notice was was Mr. Gooden, uh, the father, the adoptive father of the child, who was a um, salt of the earth, kind of blue-collar worker whose house was going through all this stuff, and I, I saw lots of stuff being thrown around. I was hit by stuff myself, and this is uh, well observed by police officers and, and, and uh, journalists, people who were supposed to be trained observers. And he said... That cat would come to the top of the stairs from the cellar, pound on the door, and demand to be let out with, wor- well, some uh, things I can't say on the air, but he would say, let me out of here, you dirty Frenchman, you dirty rat, quote, unquote. <laughs> all right. And he swore that that happened. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I did, all I heard was what, what I believe was the girl throwing the voice, but uh, it wasn't a mongoose, but um, it was still a, a similar situation. So. Have you yourself, Tim, ever heard um, vocals? And vocals are very common in poltergeist cases, but right. vocals from animals. Uh, Especially one who is a francophobe. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and on, on a Woonsocket, Rhode Island station. I yeah, probably I know. It's a, I better it's a watch out for sin. that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's not me saying that, folks. It was the cat. So uh, blame him. <laughs> so go ahead, Tim. Uh, what what uh, experience do you have with that sort of thing? Well, no. Honestly, I can I can say that I, I, have, I have never heard... Um, uh, uh, an animal uh, talk, with the exception of of, of my cat, that uh, every once in a while will say, you know, hello. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in fact, he was just outside my office door a few well, minutes tell him ago. Tell we said hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that it didn't pick up on my microphone. Uh, but as for anything more, you know, uh, understandable than that, no, I I have never. Now, you know, in in. Uh, a couple of, of haunting cases that I have investigated, um, I have heard like brief snatches of of words or, or maybe what could be comments from another room when there wasn't anybody there. Uh, but you know, it, it's one of these things where you know you're not quite sure you actually heard it or not, but you're left the, with the impression. You know that that you actually heard somebody talking to you, uh, you know. But as for you know hearing an animal talk uh, uh, and, and talking in an intelligent way, no, I never have, and and that's what makes the Jeff case uh, so 
unique and frustrating. You know, I mean, it, again, this this took place in the 1930s. If something like that would happen today, considering all of the you know technology that we would have, you know, at our disposal to be able to record uh, something like this, you know, I mean, it's just uh, it, you know, it, it would just be wonderful. At at the time that the Jeff case took place, uh, they had uh, they had dictaphones, but um, the the Irving's house had no electricity, and uh, the only uh, a battery type of power that would have been available, they would have uh, required uh, like a van full of equipment, and there would have been no way that they could have got that up to their house. Well, I'd, uh, I'd like to bring up the idea, and I, first, I want to give you a chance to talk about your books and your website and stuff. Those are but, rapidly but, burning through the hour here. We're rapidly burning <laughs> through the hour, and I want to get into the, the, the Tibetan Buddhist notion of thought forms and topas. Mm-hmm. And from that point of view, Jeff was a, a textbook topa. But before that, uh, <laughs> please tell us about your website, where people can find out more about you, your show you do with Tim Beckley, and, and uh, just go for it. Right. Well, uh, I I have a a, a webcast with uh, Timothy Green Beckley on the uh, KCOR Digital Radio Network Thursday nights at ten o'clock called Exploring the Bazaar. We've been doing it for uh, oh gosh, uh, almost three years now. Uh, not not quite as long as you have, but uh, uh, your show. Uh, but we have a lot of fun. We have some great guests. And uh, if anybody is uh, interested in uh, uh, myself, uh, uh, Tim Beckley, and some of the other writers that. Uh, work with Tim Beckley, you can go to our website. It's uh, conspiracyjournal.com. Again, that's conspiracyjournal.com. All of my books can be found on Amazon.com. Just type in uh, uh, Tim Swartz or Tim R. Swartz. There's there's another uh, Tim Swartz out there that's a mathematician, and uh, he's he's written a couple of books, and I'm sure that uh, he loathes being uh, <laughs> probably mistaken for myself uh, uh, sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know, because reading his work, you know, he's just like, what's this paranormal junk? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. Well, excellent. Uh, it, really, uh, it's. It, urge people to and the the new book is is about jeff the talking mongoose yes. that's your newest i understand yes it's uh well the title is uh, uh jeff the talking mongoose the eighth and <laughs> this is it, uh, yeah well and it's in uh, uh, uh quotation marks the eighth wonder of the world because that's uh, jeff referred to himself at one point as the eighth wonder of the world Very i really hope it doesn't get mistaken as a children's book <laughs> exactly <laughs> Right. And it and it has it has been uh, uh, you know and I've had people who um, who who have claimed to have been you know uh, researching the paranormal for years and years and years when they hear about my book they say well is this a children's book and I'm like what oh my Never gosh <laughs> ever heard of Jeff the Talking Mon- I heard about this case uh, uh, when I was 12 years old from a uh, a book by uh, the uh, uh, parapsychologist Nandor Fordor. Uh-huh. Uh, it was called Between Two Worlds, and uh, it was a paperback release that uh, had come out at that time. Uh, so, I mean, I've uh, I've actually kind of you know uh, been researching this case since that time, and you know I won't tell you how old I am now, uh, but uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> okay, well, time flies, and you're having fun. That's but right. uh, the Topa idea now, the, the Tibetan Buddhist monks, some of them will create a thought form as a spiritual exercise, but the problem with it is that. They do what Jeff seems to have done, and and if that's what he was or it was, and it'll it'll cease being two dimensional and start expanding, be, develop its own personality, its own will, 
and this sort of thing, and will some very often vocalize. And there were actually a bunch of students in Canada when I was in the 70s, and I was uh, not involved with it, but I was in touch with them, and they literally created a thought form as, as an exercise, and th- then they couldn't get rid of it. They actually could photograph it. So what say you on that subject? Well, and this, uh, uh, actually, you know, I mentioned Nandor Fordor. This was, he didn't use the word tulpa, but uh, but years later, after his investigation of the case, this was, uh, you know, kind of his thought. Now, uh, uh, Fordor was a Freudian and, and studied uh, with Freud. So, I mean, he had to bring in, you know, a lot of these, uh, no, I take that back, not Freudian. He was a, he was a union. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, very much, very much. But it was his idea that possibly because especially Jim Irving who had you know had a fairly you know well off life in England and uh, was now living in basically isolation with just his wife and and young daughter on the island uh, maybe their combined uh, minds and frustration with uh, 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 living a life that was so unlike the one that they had previously had had somehow uh, uh, created uh, 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 Jeff, uh, possibly uh, using some form of, uh, say, like you know, elemental energy that was already existing in that area, and, uh, and and giving life to it, because you know, some of the things about Jeff was that um, uh, he was interested, at, say, like in in cars and airplanes, and these were interests that uh, Vori also had. Wow. Uh, that. There were a lot of uh, similarities in the personality of Jeff that uh, uh, also coincided with the, uh, uh, the the likes and dislikes of the members of the household. So the idea that uh, that Jeff could have been a thought form, a tulpa, you know, I don't think is outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I, th- I think it's a lot more uh, that you're it's a lot more far-reaching to think that Jeff was just simply uh, an, an extra clever little mongoose. As, uh, as he was often uh, like to say. Yeah. Well, the question of, uh, you know, well, you know our work, uh, we deal with the parasites we believe and this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, 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 in our opinion, poltergeists are actually parasites, uh, ra- and, and the, even the created thought forms, if that's what exists, uh, might be a parasite coming in because of the dinner bell being rung. Uh, so that that's just another thought. But um, can... Can you do any further work on this case? I'm going to talk about a cold case. I mean, what, uh, you know, I mean, Ed Warren was, I think, six years old when this started. But uh, <laughs> what, can you, can, is there more information that can be found about this case, or have you uh, pretty much uh, squeezed the orange uh, for all it's worth? Well, I, uh, unfortunately, uh, anybody that was involved in this case has has long since passed away. And I should point out that uh, uh, Vori Irving, uh, in an interview, uh, the only interview that she ever gave, which was for Fate Magazine in 1970, uh, she was 52 years old at the time, she claimed that everything that was reported to have happened actually did happen, that there was uh, some strange creature named Jeff that lived in his household, that he talked and he harassed him, and that she, she wished that it had never had happened because it basically had ruined her life yeah 
But uh, as for any further information, uh, unless somebody comes across uh, uh, paperwork that has been uh, squirreled away in an archive somewhere, and, and I'll tell you something, myself, other investigators, you know, a friend of mine who lives in England, who at my behalf had uh, gone around to a lot of these uh, libraries and centers and, and, and dug stuff up for me, uh, unless somebody finds you know, a hidden, you know, uh, archive somewhere. I don't know if uh, we'll ever learn anything more. Unfortunately, well, I, when I had the chance, I should have asked Sam the Cat if he knew anything about it, but it's too late for that. <laughs> okay, Tim, uh, great discussion. Thanks so much, and we'll be in touch off the air as we always are. All right, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a pleasure to be with you today, as okay. always. Ben, take away our announcements, if you would. Oh, I will. So, we've got quite a bit going on and uh, many, many things that we have in the fire. And uh, if you have any friends or uh, family mem- family members whose tastes sort of run to the weird and unexplained, you can try giving them autographed copies of our books. Or, or at least our, our latest titles include the Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, and Behind the Paranormal 2, Bigfoot, Mothman, and Monsters You Never Heard of. And they're available from online retailers and in some stores. Uh, but for autographed copies, you can uh, visit our show website. That's BehindTheParanormal.com. Well, Paul and Ben's next event will be on April 23rd at 1 o'clock p.m. when they will be back at the Town of Prospect Senior Center in Connecticut for a presentation. We will keep you posted as details develop. Okay, and uh, a certain someone may make a cameo at that if she's able. Indeed. So, so next comes the X-Filers United event that's uh, 2019 and uh, for that convention. And you can uh, check it out. That's uh, April 26th through the 28th at the Crown Royal, or the Crown Royal, the Crown Plaza <laughs> Hotel in, in Warwick, Rhode Island. Somewhere like that. Uh, I mean, it's a royal place, I suppose. Uh, this event covers all areas of the paranormal, UFOs, uh, ghost phenomena, cryptids, and more. Uh, along with us, uh, speakers will include our popular guest, Co- host Shane Searway, filmmaker Alexander Petikoff, uh, UFO researcher and experiencer Mike Stevens, along with America's youngest recognized uh, cryptid expert Colin Schneider, and uh, famous uh, medium Gary McKinsky, author uh, Susan Brunel, UFO experiencer Tom Reed, and a number of other big names. And if that's not enough for you, you can get more details as they firm up at xfilersunited.com. And uh, events later this year will include appearances at the Nashua, uh, New Hampshire Public Library in August, along with the Exeter UFO Festival, of course, and the Greater New England UFO Conference. At some point this fall, there will be a release party for my next book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, Poltergeist, Parasites, Parallel Worlds, Worlds and God. I should have put Talking Mongooses in there, I guess. Uh, which will be published in hardcover this fall by Schiffer Books under their Red Feather imprint. And we'll keep you posted on that as details develop. And you can also uh, check out some other things in the works. Our third book is uh, currently, you know, in, in the in the flames and being smithed by us. Uh, that is going to be in the subject of UFOs beyond the assumptions. And you can uh, check out our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com as well, uh, where you can find out more about our show, uh, our many cases over the years, public appearances, and you'll find over 800 free recorded shows from our 10 plus years on the air, including our four and a half year run on CBS, uh, and along with special shows and podcasts. Also at BehindTheParanormal.com, there are two links to several charities Paul and Ben have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, and the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. And Ben, you wanted to mention a very special charity for March? Yes, so March is actually MS Awareness Month, um, which a, a very close friend of mine has 
been well about a year ago was di- actually a little over a year ago was diagnosed with uh, with MS and he's only about a year younger than me so it's it's definitely one of those things that it, that affects a lot of people and um you know it's it's one of those things that we should really be aware of and you know there's no there's no cure for it as of yet um there's research on it but still no effective cure and for those that are afflicted by it um you know this is MS awareness month and we should really you know pay more attention to that so, Ben, what uh, looms darkly ahead for us next week? Uh, so next week, uh, March 10th, uh, here on WON, 1240 AM and uh, 99.3 FM, we'll bring you uh, the first of two back-to-back open-line shows with uh, popular guest co-host, co-host uh, Shane Searway. Now we'll tackle questions from listeners on all paranormal subjects. Uh, so uh, get your questions in via Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can message us on Facebook and call during the show as well. Okay, well, that's all we have time for. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Lori Greer. Thanks for joining us on our cosmic journey, and we'll see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.